Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. I'm hoping everybody is doing fantastic. If you're doing fantastic, let's just give them, man, and worship this morning. Amazing. Alan already kind of set the stage for that. And man, I was, I was privileged when Alan said that the message was on point. So hopefully it lives up to his expectations again. So man, I want to do something real quick, okay, because I'm in the mood to clap. Let's welcome our Sherwood campus and our online campuses. Let's give them a big round of applause. And if you're at Sherwood or online, why don't you give the Evans campus a big round of applause? Did y'all hear that? It was loud. No, they're, they're applauding for you. Man, what a, great, what a great morning. And as Alan already mentioned, we're in a series called To the Church. And uh, it's exciting. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have already been corrected. One time I corrected myself. Last week, I don't know if you were here. If you weren't here, we talked about the Church of Ephesus. And the story and, and, and what we're talking about over these last, uh, last week and the next six weeks uh, is the seven churches, the messages that were given to John on the island Patmos when he was exiled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to him, and it was basically a, a reprimand to some of the churches. For other churches, it was an applause. It was, you're doing a really good job. Um, but I said something last week that after I said it, I even walked off the stage and I went, man, I don't know that that's correct. I better fact check myself. You ever have to do that? You fact, fact check yourself. And what I said was not a single one of the churches are in existence. And that's not true. The church we're going to actually look at today is still in existence. There's still believers that are functioning in the same city. And so it's exciting to see that. But today we're going to look at the church. Last week was Ephesus, right? Uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't here, you need to go watch it. It's really, really, really good. And really uh, great information last week. And it spoke it spoke to me, and it's about the church leaving its first love and really getting back to the first works that it had forgotten back. And that was loving God and loving people. Now, this week, we're looking at the church of Smyrna, not Smyrna, Georgia, not Smyrna Beach. This is Smyrna over door Turkey. And so it's a, a whole different out. And the church of Smyrna was in a seaport, kind of like a Savannah or a Charleston. And I was only about 40 miles from the church we studied about last week, the church of Ephesus. Smyrna was celebrated for schools, remember Ephesus last week, we talked it was epicenter of a lot of things. Smyrna was the same. It was a, a place where schools were and science and great medicine and paved roads uh, and, and great huge buildings, works of art and architecture were all through this place. Uh, Smyrna was a heavy exporter of a substance called myrrh. Now, if you've ever read the Bible or if you've ever been to Easter or Christmas, you've probably heard a preacher talk about this thing called myrrh. And I'm going to pause things because this is really important. And part of this study is not just, let's give a bunch of facts, but myrrh is important in the Bible because myrrh was an embalming fluid. Uh, if you remember, uh, at Jesus's birth, they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So myrrh was an embalming fluid. And at that time, it was, it was kind of a shadowing or foreshadowing that Jesus was going to be killed, but he was going to be buried, uh, but he's going to raise from the dead. We also see myrrh in history as somewhat of a painkiller. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, he yelled, Eloi, Eloi, Ramasabachthi, my God, my God, or my dad, my dad, why have you forsaken me? But he was also given on a branch, a stick, he was given a rag that was dipped in wine and myrrh. And Jesus said, I can't do that. It's, you know, the, the Bible says and all that kind of stuff. So we see that myrrh was a big, and it's interesting because if you look at the root word of myrrh and the root, myrrh, uh, root word of Smyrna, they're the exact same thing. Uh, and it was, it was this, this, this suffering and this 
this death, this concept of death, which you'll see in a minute as we read the scripture again with new light, that that was something that Smyrna really had to deal with. Um, Ismar is the city where they're at now. It is one of the oldest continuous inhabited cities of the world and now home to 4 million people live in this place where the church of Smyrna is. Now I'm gonna give you a reference. Uh, Los Angeles has 39, uh, uh, 3.9 million people. So this city was a pretty big city. It was about the same size as Los Angeles without the traffic jams that I hear Los Angeles has. And so uh, Jesus' words, Jesus speaks to him in Revelation chapter two through the apostle John. He speaks to him, uh, the believers in Smyrna, and he encourages them to face the persecution. Now, I don't know how God would do that today, um, but I know they were probably going, what persecution? And he was like, what's about to come? And so one of the things that starts to happen in the church of Smyrna resisted the pressure and endured persecution. We see that that's what he commended him for in this story. And for those who overcome the promise, and it says this, they will not be hurt by a second death. Now, I don't claim to be a theologian, and I'm definitely not an end-time eschatologist, okay? So end-time eschatology means this. They study, it's the study of end times, and it's knowing them. Well, first of all, Jesus said that not even him, Jesus himself knew when Jesus was coming back or the Son of Man was coming back, okay? We, we tracking on this? But the second death we find in Revelation chapter 20, and I think it's verse three, four, and five, and it actually refers again to this second death. Now, there's all kinds of people saying all different things. I'm gonna give you kind of the, the, the big broad paintbrush. Some people, if you're a pre-millennial, you think that this happens before the thousand-year reign after the, world is, uh, after the world war, okay, the big world war. Some people think it's after, some think it's... So when I say tribulation and I say the rapture, who knows what I'm talking about? It's okay if you don't, okay, because I don't know it all. The rapture is when Jesus comes back and takes his church. Um, I am longing for that day, but I don't want it to happen to, to, today, okay? Like I'm longing, anybody, like I, I like parts of my life right now. I, I enjoy watching kids. I want to have a grand, not me personally have a grandbaby, but I want to have, I want to be a grandfather one day and all that kind of stuff. But there's certain people that think that Jesus is coming back before this millennial reign, a uh, thousand years, they think he's coming, they would be called a pre-tribulation rapturist. Some people think he's coming in the middle of it, and some people think he's coming to the e at the end of it. Now, I am smart enough to understand this. I don't think any one of those are right, or they're all right. We don't know yet. So what we would say a journey is we are pan-tribulation rapturists, which means this. It's all going to pan, pan out the way God wants it to pan out, and we just go for the ride. How's that sound? Is that good? So, because we don't know. But what, what's, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the judgment death. So the Bible says man's appointed one time to die, and then there's a judgment. And so we'll all stand before God. All our works will be done. He'll say, good, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's talking about here. So a natural death, that we're going to die, we're all going to die. And then a second death would be the death, whether we get to go to heaven, or we, we won't have to die through, we get to go to heaven, or the second death for some people will be, unfortunately, hell. And I know that freaks some people out. So the main attack uh, was, the Jewish, uh, was from the Jewish uh, people, the, the Jewish believers. So um, they were attacking them because they believed that Jesus, because the statements that Jesus made, right? I am the way, the truth, the light. No man comes to the Father. I am the door, all that. So they were believing that this, and they were, they were literally going, you know, some, because the Jewish people of the time were thinking they were religious by genealogy. They were religious because they were born into Judaism. They were Jewish. But what, what was happening is Jesus came on the scene and said, unless a man be born again, he can't inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that they were under attack. Um, one of the first we see martyrs written about was a, a, a father, his name was Polycarp. 
So Father Polycarp, a bishop of Smyrna and disciple of the Apostle John, was executed there at the age of 86. Now, I love what's written about him. I'm going to read this. This is one of the quotes. While he's being executed, this is what he says. He said, for 86 years, I have been a servant or his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? What a bold statement. Like to death, like I'm going to bow down and I'm going to understand who Jesus is. Today, Ismer is filled with with secular modernists. That would be a lot like we see in our big cities and, and around the world we live in. But about 500, now listen to this, about 500 Christians still reside in this area. Now we go, well, that's great, that's awesome. The problem is when you put that ratio against 4 million people, it's about what's here at Journey today. About 500 in this service right here. So it's about, that's about how many believers there are walking in this area of Ismar, right, right outside of Turkey. And so we see this here. Now, when we read the story, when we read what, what's written, the angel of the Lord said, like last week we said, okay, we understand what the big emphasis was. The big emphasis was they walked away from God, they left their first love, and they left their first works. Well, what is he saying to Smyrna as he's writing this? And I want you to write this down. I believe the letter that was written to the church of Smyrna was a reality check. I think he was trying to say, you know something? There's some things that are gonna happen in your life that you have to be aware of. Now let's read it with that kind of mentality, with that lens that, that God has given him a reality check. And he says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, verse nine. And I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now this is really important, okay? Because when we think about persecution, a lot of times we think, we think listen, uh, be, being beheaded or we, you know, we read about the stories of the, how the 11 apostles, how they all died and how they were, they were martyred and they were you know, plunged with a sword and executed in bold and oil. He's not talking about that kind of persecution right here. What he's talking about is an economic persecution. And that was one of the biggest things because now that they're considered believers, the Jewish people didn't want to do business with them. So they started getting poorer and poorer and poorer and poorer. And so they weren't even allowed to be a part of the economic growth that was in the city of, of Ismar. So, but you are rich. And he reminds them the richness that they are is not found in earthly possessions. You are rich because of what you have in Jesus Christ. And he says, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So he calls those religious people straight from the lineage of Satan. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And I love this. I've never read this before, but this past week, this, like, it just caught me. He said, and for 10 days, 10 days, think about this for a second. It wasn't a long-term persecution. It wasn't a to-death persecution. He said, you're gonna be thrown in jail for 10 days. And he says, you will have tribulation, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And then he says, the same thing we heard last week, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers will not hurt you, uh, will not be hurt by the second death. So I'm reading through that and, and I'm going, okay, a reality check that there's gonna be times of trials and tribulations and problems. And I don't know if you know this, the Bible talks about it too, all throughout, not just Revelation, that as believers, we're gonna go through some tough times. And, and, and that's a reality check. And every person in this room, every person watching online, every person down in our Sherwood campus, we deal with these kind of trials and tribulations, and tri tribulations in one of three ways. Here's the first way. You can run and hide from them. And lots of people do, don't they? Trial comes and they run the other direction. A problem comes, they run the other direction. A, a, a problem comes in a marriage and they ditch, they run. Uh, yesterday I was at a wedding. I was actually doing the wedding. And I said to the couple before the ceremony, I said, listen, I just want you to know something. Something happened to me years ago that really reminded me of something I just want to say to you guys before we're getting ready to pray. 
And I said, um, I, I talked about a couple that was in the uh, elevator with me. And I said, um, they said to me, like, I, what's your secret to success? They've been married for 50 or 60 years. What's your secret? And they said, we, my generation fixes. That's what I said. My generation fixes things that are broken. Your generation throws things away. And that's what happens in our world a lot of times. We just, we throw things away. And a lot of times when trials and tribulations come our way, one of the things we happen is we run the other direction. We don't want to deal with them. The second way we deal with them is this. We, we moan and whine and gripe about our problems. And instead, of, instead of the third way is just facing our problems. And that's what Jesus is saying through the Holy Spirit, the, revelates, the revelation of John. He's saying, I want you to stand firm and I want you to face your persecutions. And I want you to come against them. And if you do, there's, there's a reward at the end. And the problem, and I'm going to give you the problem. The problem is, I think we've been taught wrong in church. I think people in church have done a disservice to people like us because we paint a picture in Sunday school that everything's going to be fine. Like we're never going to have a problem. And at the end of the flood, there was an ark. And at the end of this, there was that. And they all crossed on the Red Sea. But let me tell you something. Sometimes things don't work out the way we expect them to work out. You know, some, sometimes divorce happens. Sometimes death happens. Unfortunately, sickness happens. Unfortunately, there's all kinds of problems. I, I mean, you know, bankruptcy happens. We lose jobs. All that stuff happens. And we've been taught wrong. And we almost have been taught that it happened to you because you don't have enough faith. And that's not it at all. You know why it happened? Because stuff happens to human beings. We live in a sinful world from the time of the fall. And that's why stuff happens. So the reality is this. The teaching that we've been taught is wrong about our trials and tribulations. And you're going, Pastor Bobby, is this going to get good anytime soon? Yes. But we've got to have the reality check, just like he was giving them a reality check. There is going to be problems on this side of eternity. You, you know what I'm convinced of? And maybe you're not convinced of this, and, and it's okay. You can sit, Bobby Smith at journeycommunity.net. I'll have a sit down. We can talk. We can do whatever. I'll send you to Alan. <laughs> I believe this book right here has the answer for every life situation. Now, you might not believe it. This is my frame of reference. This is my, this is my balance point. This is, this is what I, this, this book right here, marriage failure, you know, problems with kids, you know, how we're supposed to respond to leaders in the world that we live in. I think everything can be found in this book. How, how, more, so, so that's when I, say, when I say that kind of bold comment, like the Bible even talks about us having problems. The Bible talks about, uh, you know, what the Christian life is about. It tells us, Man, it tells us what God's like. We see in Revelation chapter 20, we see that he's seated on a throne. We, we see in this book what he expects of, of us. Micah says, he has shown the old man to, to, live, to live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. This book teaches us all that stuff, but it also teaches us how to, when, you know, when, when we go, endure problems, endure struggles, endure trials. And, and, and here's what I've learned. And, and maybe, I don't know where you fall on this. I think there's two mentalities about when we look at problems and struggles. I think one is our natural eyes and we look at everything from a worldly perspective, like, man, all this bad stuff has happened in the world and we look at governments and we look at all the, the fall and we look at inflation and we look at it through. Or we can look through our spiritual eyes and go, you know something? God is still in control and it doesn't make a difference. I mean, let me tell you something. Economic systems are gonna come and go. Somebody needs to say amen. Presidents are gonna come and go. In another couple of years, we're gonna get another president. We hope, uh, we're gonna get another president. I didn't say that. I stopped myself right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. Gas prices are gonna go up and down. I remember in the 70s and 80s, gas prices went up five times the amount. They were actually higher than they are right now. You know what I've learned? There's two ways to look at everything. We look at them with our natural eyes or we can look through the eyes 
of the spiritual. And today what I'd like for all of us to do is look through the eyes of the spiritual and look at how trials and temptations and struggles and storms, whatever you want to call it, how they, how they, why they, and the first reality, I'm going to give us a reality. The first reality is this. I believe trials can work to your benefit. I believe sometimes God allows things to happen to work for my benefit. James chapter one, when I was working on this, I was reading Revelation, but I kept going to James and I kept going to 1 Peter. And you'll understand at the end of the message why, because they talk about how we can go through these struggles. So James says it like this in James chapter one. He says, count it, no joy. What's that word? It doesn't, all. Count it, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, watch this, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a reason for it. It does something in us. And, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love that. He said, listen, without trials, you're incomplete. Without a struggle or a storm, you're incomplete. It's those struggles, those problems. I am way better. Listen, one of the things that I've learned from playing sports is that I am way better after a loss than I am after a win. That I can identify the things that I've done wrong. Same thing up here. There's Sundays I go, okay, I got to change this, this, this. It's not after the great victory. It's not after five people walk up and say, that was an amazing message. It's after my wife says, you know, that point, or after somebody in the back goes, hey, that point, you were a little off kilter on that one. How about this? It's the same in our life. When trials and tribulations and problems come, something is built up in us. Something happens in us. He's talking about a realistic, practical, down-to-earth, bottom-line perspective of our problems. Philosopher Simon Wheel says this, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy, remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. That's powerful right there. Let me read that again. The extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. Meaning, I can look at a trial or a struggle or a temptation and go, what, what is that, what's going to happen in me? When you go through problems, how do you look at a problem? Do you look at it as an, a nemesis or do you look at it as something that's going to help you? You do a cost-benefit analysis on them. You go, hey, what can I find good in this struggle? I, I was thinking about this as I was writing on Tuesday morning about this. And I got an email from a friend of mine. Um, he's actually going to come. He's, he's our missionary to Haiti, uh, Bill Howard. And Bill said, hey, am I still good? Um, we're going to have a guest speaker. We don't have many guest speakers, but November 21st, he's going to come. He's amazing. He's going to tell us about what's going on in Haiti. But I was thinking about this, and maybe some of you don't know that because, uh, this because uh, the last two years have been kind of wonky just with going on and not going on mission trips. But we, we, we were going at one point six or seven mission trips to Haiti, and we've adopted a little town or a little village called Trufambon. And it goes back seven or eight, nine, nine years ago when there were several of us that went on a pre-mission trip to Haiti. And we met a lady by the name who, bless her heart, went, went to be with Jesus a couple months ago. Her name was Miss Betty. And Miss Betty was in her 80s or 90s, and she dubbed me the mayor of Truth and Bond. So I am a mayor of a town in Haiti. There's no paycheck. I don't have a certificate for that. But she said, hey, would you, because her and her husband for years invested in, I think it was 20 different churches in Haiti. And one of the villages that she wanted to make sure. So she said, would you pray about your church journey? Would you pray about adopting this city, this, this, this village? And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely pray about it. And I remember the first thing that happened, and everybody loves a great story. The first thing that happened was they told us not to come. They didn't want us to come. 
They didn't want to see another white, you know, American person that was throwing money at something and then would leave after three days. And we felt good and they were left with the same tragedy and problems that they had. And so it was one of those deals where I remember the first time I went down there, there was a pastor. I'm not going to tell you anything, but a pastor was down there. He's like, like, I don't like you. I'm like, you don't even know me yet. Yeah, but you're just like all the rest of them. I'm like, no. And you know how to happen? We had to prove to them over a period of four or five years that we meant what we said and we said what we meant. That we were going to invest in that community and we were with them. And it took, it took a few years. And, and now it's amazing to me. Like every kid that goes to that school is sponsored by somebody in this church. And they get a, they get a, a meal sponsorship, education sponsor, and, and clothing. We, we built a library there a couple years ago. We put up a kitchen so they can have hot meals. We put up a, a water, all that. We wanted to show the town, and we wanted to show the pastor who's basically in charge of the town, that we meant business, that we were going to endure, we were going to walk through this road. Now, did it happen overnight? No, it didn't happen overnight. We had trials and tribulations, but you know now, years, you know, years removed, you know when they need something, you know who they call? Because they trust us now. You know, when we, when we take a trip over there, they get offended when we don't go there right away. Like we don't, we don't go meet them and say hi to them. And it's the same with our child. What, what is God trying to, to, to give us, to teach us out of the trials and the tribulations and maybe some of the pitfalls? One of the things I've learned is, and in, in, in this situation with Truth Amount, I've learned really two things. The first thing, and somebody better say amen to this. I have learned about the blessings and the anointing of God in our lives, in our church. And when God tells us to do something, when we do it, he absolutely will bless it and anoint it. Somebody say amen to that. That's the first thing. But I also learned this, that it takes time for people to trust you. And you'll have to go through some struggles and trials and tribulations before people will trust you. So that's the first thing. What is that trial? I don't want you to think about what you're going through right now. It, 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 big or small, what is it? What, is, there, is there maybe a lesson that God's trying to teach me? And the second thing is this, and this is really important. Trials, storms, whatever you want to call them, won't last forever. They're, they're not designed to last forever. One of the things that we were blessed with a couple, three years ago, um, the staff actually bought us some tickets. Um, so if you don't know me very well, I love, I love sports. I love I heard there was a little football game yesterday. Did anybody watch it? Who, who played? Did Georgia play? Did they, did they win? Did Georgia Really, they won? That's awesome. That's awesome. Did Alabama play? Anybody know? Uh, I had to go to sleep because I had to get up early to work on the message this morning. So, so I, I know I love sports. I love hunting and fishing, and I love anything to do without. I'm, 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 I'm getting into hiking now, which is kind of interesting, like, going to a place for no apparent reason. Isn't that exciting? So get up to the top of the mountain, like, we're here. Okay, let's go back down. But, but what my, my favorite sport, if you know anything about me, my, my wife, I love baseball. I aspired as a young kid to play baseball. Um, I thought at one point that I was actually good enough, and then, and then I realized I wasn't talented enough to play baseball. But one of the things that I love about baseball is, is I love the strategy of baseball. And so the, the staff got us some tickets a couple years ago, and they were beautiful. They were right behind first base. And literally when the, I, the sweat was dripping off Ronald Acuna, and when he shook his dreadlocks, the sweat was all over me. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I am now a baseball player. And so we got to see, you know, Dansby was there playing short. I mean, it was just amazing. So big Braves fan. And any other Braves fans? So big, big game yesterday, right? So we're sitting there. But I noticed something. We're sitting right, right, right on first base. And if you look out, there's, the, the, there's a drum out there in the, in, in the area. And all of a sudden, the clouds started coming over. This was a Sunday um, afternoon, 12 o'clock game. 
in the clouds. And I was like, ooh, clouds, this is going to be fantastic. Like, because the sun was beating down. It's like August. It's hotter than Haiti. I mean, it's, it's bad. Well, all of a sudden, I hear thunder. Some of you are going, did he say hey? Yes. So hearing thunder. And I watched how people responded. And so all of a sudden, it started to rain a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the bottom dropped out. And I watched people run and, and, and go into the overhang. I, there were people that they left the, before the game even started. They left the game. And there were some people that were just mad at life, and they just put a poncho on and just sat there like this. I'm, like, I'm not going nowhere. I'm like, go get wet then. And so we're sitting there, and Gina said, hey, let's go up and let's go get a you know, hot dog, and we'll, we'll hang out there. About an hour and a half later, okay, hour and a half later, all of a sudden the sun pops out. We go to run down our seats. We wipe our seats off, and we're looking at the team, the, the crew on the field, and they're pulling back everything. And about 45 minutes, so an hour and four, two, two, two hour delay, the game starts, and the Braves win the game. And so I was like, yes. But you know, I learned something. And I learned one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned. It's how people handle the storm. See, some people in their lives think that the storm is permanent, and so they leave. And right in the midst or right before the storm hits, they leave the situation. And some people, some people are smart. They, they kind of wait the storm out and they realize. And then some people just sit there and just, you know, like moaning and groaning and all that kind of stuff through the storm. And it makes me think about how do you handle, how do I handle the storm? When the storm's coming into my life, what am I doing? Do I realize that this storm is only temporary? A couple hours later, you know what happened? Sun came back out and we played baseball. And it reminded me of a passage in the book of Romans. It's one of my favorite passages. And this is what it says in Romans and it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know what he's saying? That the problems this side of eternity are temporary, but out there in eternity, whenever we get to, you know, there again, I don't know when it's going to happen or, you know, how it's going to happen, but that is a longer period of time than the struggles on this side of eternity. And I love the way First Peter says it. First Peter says this. It says, in this you rejoice. So in these struggles, in these storms, when the storm's coming over, he says, rejoice thou. Know for a little while, just a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by the various trials. And I love this, this various trials, if you stop right here for a second, this means of many colors. That means there's lots of different colors. There's struggles all different times. Sometimes it's death, sometimes it's a, a sickness, sometimes it's maybe an economic problem, sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's a marriage situation of various kinds. And this is in verse seven. He says, so that you be tested the genuineness of your faith. So again, there's a reason for them. It's testing you. It's seeing, you know what this genuineness of it? It means do you have intestinal fortitude? Do you have guts in your spiritual life? When tough times come, do you stand up against them or do you cower and run away? And God's telling the church of Smyrna, I want you to stand against the persecution, whether it's economic or it's death. I want you to stand and be ready for that. What about you? When struggles come your way, what are you gonna do? Matthew chapter 7 tells a beautiful story, and you've read it, we've read it here. Maybe you don't know, and I'll tell you what it said. Matthew chapter 7, it's the story of the two builders, and one builds on, on sand, and one builds on a rock. You, some of you know the story, right? And so, that, so all of a sudden, a storm hits both of them, and the one that was built on sand is destroyed. The one that was built on rock stands firm. And that should speak to us loud and clear that if we build our life on the worldly stuff, if we build our life on what the world has to offer, it's sand, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna erode underneath this, it's gonna be, but if we build it on the light, Jesus Christ, the solid rock, the cornerstone, God's gonna do something. But there's another part of the story that so many times we miss. Do you know what both of them had to deal with? The storm. And somehow or another, don't you think, we think sometimes like that person has it made, that that storm, 
The Bible says it's going to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, that bad things and good things happen to both groups of people. Now, one of the things that I've learned is when I'm going through a bad thing, at least I've got God on my side. Somebody say amen to that. So it's one of those deals where how do you, how do you handle it? And our problems, I don't, you may not agree with me, our problems will not last forever. Now, I want you to do me a favor real quick. I want you to think of your biggest problem. Just think about it. So my kids taught me something. I don't know which kid, they came home from a Bible school. Anybody have a quarter? Anybody have a quarter? Real quick. Nobody has a quarter. Anybody have a $100 bill? You have a quarter? Thanks, man. So baseball, caught it. This is what my kids taught me. Um, so I want you all to do this when you, when, when you leave church today, okay? It's, it's, it's still sunny outside, right? I know, you know, Georgia's weather changes. Like we have all four seasons in one day sometimes. I want you to go outside and I want you to look at the sun. I want you to eyeball the sun, okay? And then I want you to shut one eye. I want you to take the quarter and I want you to put it between your eye and the sun and watch what happens. You know what happens? This little small quarter blocks out that big old sun. Thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know how far it is. It's a long way from home, right? And it's, it's huge. But this little quarter, this little quarter blocks out the whole sun. And you know what happens in our lives? Our little struggles block out the sun of what he wants to do in our lives. So in our lives, so many times we look at, our, we look at this little, small, little itty-bitty problem and think it's going to last forever and it's never going to go away. And I'm here to tell you, by design, by design, it's only short term. It's all in perspective. It's all in how we look at it. So here's the third thing. Reality number three, and this out of all of them may be the most important one. Reality number three, ask God for help and understanding. You know, in our lives, so many times, I think we have a poor perspective. I love the way the book of James says it in James chapter one, verse five. It says this, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without, approach, uh, without reproach and will be given to him. Out of all the things, out of everything that we, money and, and jobs and relationships, he says, you know something? This is what we lack, lack wisdom. We need to ask for, we need to be asking for wisdom. Out of the 800 promises in the Bible, this is probably the most important promise because every situation we're gonna deal with, we have to have wisdom in our lives. See, wisdom is knowing how to make the right choice at the right time. It's not about having initials in front of your name or initials behind your name or degrees. It's about making the right decision at the right time. I have a friend of mine um, that a couple months ago, he called me up and he says, hey man, would you come over and pray for me? Would you pray for me? He said, my business is, I think I'm gonna sell my business. I think, I think I'm gonna go out of business. And I said, what's going on? He goes, man, I just don't know. Like we were, it was, uh, you know, 2019, we were killing it. In 2020, COVID and all kinds of problems and all kinds of struggles. And I said, can I just pray for you? And I, I want you to know, it's not because of the prayer, okay? And it's not, it's the first and only time I've ever prayed this. I just said, I said, pray. I pray that God gives you wisdom. I, I pray that God gives you wisdom whether you're supposed to sell or not sell or how you're supposed to handle it, what you're supposed to do. I would say the same to anybody in here. I would pray that God would give you wisdom in your relationships and the relationships you're supposed to have and not supposed to have and the business ventures, you know, how, how we spend our money. Or, oh, I, I would so I, I'm, I'm having this conversation. Well, he calls me up a couple of weeks later and he said, Pastor Bobby, he said, you will not believe what happened. I said, what happened? He goes, I did a cost-benefit analysis. So basically you take all the, what the cost is and then take the benefits and you kind of line them up. And if the, the, the costs are better, I mean, the costs are um, less than the benefits, you go ahead and move forward. He said, what I realized is he is I had hundreds of boxes of product that were just sitting, just basically not earning any money. So I called my best employees, or my, my best um, clients, 
and I offered them 50% off of everything that I had in inventory. And in about one week, I sold everything that I had in inventory. He still made 25% on everything they sold. So he had 25% more revenue coming to his business. He said, then he's sitting there and he said, you know, I'm looking at this big old warehouse that I've been paying all this money for. And he says, I don't need this big old warehouse. I can, I can literally drop ship stuff now instead of, so you know what he did? He started sublenting the business, the, 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 the factor warehouse. So he sublet the whole thing. He's making four times more than he was, what he's paying. Like he, he owns the building, but well, his mortgage is one amount and he's making four times that amount. And he, then he said, you know, I was doing so much with outside suppliers. He said, I realized that I could have better employees and keep them and actually pay them to work here on site than, than what it, it was, it was costing me more. So he'd made three big changes. Now he was initially going to do what? He's going to close the business down. But because he asked for wisdom or prayed for wisdom, all of a sudden God gave him a solution. What would happen in our lives if instead of closing shop down or, or stopping that thing that we're, we're not sure about or, or quitting in the middle of that, we said, God, what is the wisdom that you want us to have inside of this temptation, this, this trial, this problem? How, how would you want me to handle this thing? I've been reading um, a story in the Bible. I'm actually getting ready for a series that we're going to do next summer um, called Wisdom. And, um, and of all the things, I think that's the number one thing that we need in the world we live in. We need wisdom. Well, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, he is asked, I can't tell you the whole story because like, I got to save it for the message in, in August, but, but it's one of those deals where he asks, so he goes up to the high place and he asks God for wisdom. So he prays, God, give me wisdom. And as soon as he comes down from the mountain, I don't know if you guys know this story, I'll, I'll give you real short. He comes down and two prostitutes come to him. And in the middle of the night, each of the prostitutes had a child and one of the children died in the middle of the night. So one prostitute switched the baby out with the live baby. And, and so the one that had the live baby now has a dead baby that she's sleeping with. And the one that had the dead baby now has the live baby. And they come to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. And they come to Solomon and say, what are you going to do about this? And Solomon, it's not the best answer. Okay, like I, I've read the story a couple of times. I am not sure. Like I am not, you come to me with, a, I'm not going to like it. But he says, let's cut the baby in half and each of you take part of the baby. There again, I don't know that that works nowadays. I think you're probably getting arrested nowadays. But that was wisdom. Because you know what? He, he knew that the baby that, that, that was loved by his mother was going to be the one that said, you know something? Give that. Because the thought of cutting a baby in half, that, 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 that precious child of hers. So she would rather somebody else raise that child than that baby be killed. That's wisdom. That's the kind of wisdom we, we need to have in our world. We need to understand the difference between right and wrong in our world. We need wisdom. If we're in a workplace environment, we need to know the difference between right and wrong in that work, or when people are coming against us or when people are for us. Everywhere in our lives, we need wisdom. And God says he'll give it to you if you ask for it. I love this part too. We need to, man, this is gonna sound so, part of this wisdom thing is looking to God and not looking to outside sources. I think we're so quick to see what CNN says or see what Fox says, or see what, you know, this party or that party. How, how about we do this from now on? How about we look at what God says? How about we go, okay, God, in this situation, in this world, how would you have us, what would you have us do? What does this look like? James chapter one says this, and I love this part of James. James chapter one, it says, let the lowly brother boast in exaltation. And it says in verse 10, and that the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now I want you to stop right here. Back, back up, back up, back up. So, Remember in the church of Smyrna, what he warned them against? He said, I don't want you getting wrapped up in the riches. He said, you're poor, but you're rich the way God wants you to be. And so what James is saying right here is, listen, these people that are rich 
It's going to wither away. It's going to go away. They put their trust in the wrong thing. So he said, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Verse 11. And he says, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed though, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial that you stick firm under the trial, that you have godly wisdom, that you realize that there's a purpose to this and it's not gonna last forever, that they stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He said, listen, have some stick to itness. Don't put your stock, that's what he said. Don't put your stock in what the world puts their stock in. Listen, we could be poor and we can still be trusting the world, but. God says when we're poor and we trust him, he supplies every one of our needs. Every one of our needs. The Bible says according to his riches and his glories. And the last time I checked, the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. As a matter of fact, he owns everything in this universe. He can, he can do whatever he wants to do. And if you're rich, don't be too impressed with yourself. That's what he's saying. And he's saying there's a, whether you have a little or a lot, don't live by your own resources. Live by God's resources. James chapter one, verse six, and it goes on to say this. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts. Wow, that's hard, isn't it? Anybody else notice that word right there besides me? Doubting. See, that's where struggles and problems really take the heart. That's when they grip us, is when we start doubting. Don't realize that God's got a plan for us. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Let me throw one more thing out. I'm gonna close right here. I actually had somebody walk up to me a couple weeks ago and ask the question I've never had anybody ask me. And they said, is God mad with me? Is that why this trial happened? And I remember saying to him, God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He's not trying to be. Sometimes stuff just happens. Somebody say amen to that. As much as we don't want to say. See, but the, the promise is this that when we go through stuff, that we have a God that's going through stuff with us. I don't know what your stuff is. I don't know what your storm, I don't know how long it's been hanging over top of you. But if you're like me, it seems big and audacious and hairy and scary and all those other things. I found something interesting in this study that I was doing, that the word trial and temptation are the same word in the original manuscripts. And so many times we think temptation is one thing. And a couple years ago, I was, I was corrected by one of my kids because I made a comment. And the comment was simple. And you've probably said it, you've probably heard it before. God will never give you more than you can handle. Anybody ever heard that? It's not in the Bible. It's not even true. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It's like money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. And she said, Dad, let me tell you the truth. This is what, man, what a great revelation. She said, God's not going to give you any more than he can handle. Because it's in his strength that we live. The, the, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in our weakness, in our weakness, in our weakest moment, when we can't make it anymore, when the trial and the tribulation is so big, that's when he becomes strong. That's when he wants us to depend on him. It's in those moments. 
And instead of blaming God for all the things that are bad or blaming God for how bad this situation is, maybe we should start thanking him for how bad it could be. God, thank you it's not that. Thank you, thank you that this didn't happen. Thank you that this, I still have this. I may not have this over here anymore, but I still have this. And at the end of the day, I still have you in my life. That should be something that we applaud and say, Jesus, thank you. So what's it look like? This is what's made the church what the church is. They have endured hardships. That's what he said this morning. And that's what makes what we do to the world so appealing. At a funeral recently, I just said this one statement. I said, I don't know how people without hope in Jesus make it through a time of trouble when problems are coming from all different directions. And I'm thankful that I have Jesus, that regardless of what's coming, neither death nor life nor height nor powers of darkness, nothing will separate me, you, from the love of God. Somebody say amen to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we sang songs about you. We sang songs about how big you are and how good you are and what you do for us. We've proclaimed through your word, your living word today, that you're a good God, that you're worthy of every praise, everything we would ever say, that as, as we said, oh, that you are the hero of the story and we want you to constantly be the hero of the story. So this is my prayer, God. Would the hero of the story come and fill every nook and cranny of this place? that there's people in this room that have real struggles, real trials, real temptations, real storms. God, my prayer is that we would, we would lay them down at your feet. We would look at them differently today and ask the question, God, what good can you have from us? That you would give us the wisdom that we need to understand that. And then God, some of us in this room look at these trials and these tribulations and they seem like they've been going on for years and years. But can you teach us today, God? Can, can you speak to us today and let us know the way only you can that these struggles, these temptations, these trials are only temporary. That in the light of eternity, everything is a small thing. So I pray, God, that you would speak to us and thank you for speaking through me today. God, thank you for Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you've done what you've done so I can be what I can be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.